quite a weird story. My two tortoises were called Cruyff and Pele, and I played against Cruyff and I played alongside Pele. So. Uncovering the most amazing stories from the most talented innovators and creatives in marketing, tech and digital. This is the Wonderful People Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wonderful People Podcast with Dan Mordab and Phil Jones, Dan's sidekick. Here we go. Uh, Mr. Jones, tell us about your week. What have you been up to and what are you, what are you doing the rest of the week? Well, you normally take the mickey out of what I'm up to. You're always having a go at my love of the Ocado vans and so on and so on. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to put one up yours now, Dan, because immediately after this interview with our special guest, uh, Babs and I are off to Gatwick, boarding an easy jet plane and going off to the Algarve. So I'll see you in 10 days, mate. Oh, very nice. Very nice. The Algarve is lovely, but it's not as nice as the Costa del Maidstone. <laughs> which is which, which is where I'll be for the next 10 days. Okay. Yeah, have a great time, Phil. Enjoy. Uh, I'm definitely going to do. And that leads me into who we are going to be talking to today. And uh, I want to make sure that I don't miss that plane, actually. And there's so many questions for this person. This I could go on for hours. Um, today's guest is widely regarded as one of football's nice guys. So in thinking about who we would like to include in our Wonderful People podcast, it, it was a really easy decision to make. With over 750 appearances, including 11 years captain, captaining Spurs, 16 caps for England, not half bad for someone who was told age 17 that they would never be able to pursue a career in football after being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Gary Mabbott, MBE, I'm delighted that you can join us today. Not just so we can hear more about that amazing playing career, but also because we want to hear more about the incredible work you've been doing off the pitch, most recently while shielding yourself during this pandemic. Gary Mabbott, welcome on board. Thank you very much. Good morning, uh, Dan. Good morning, Phil. It's hopefully having a fantastic podcast today. Really, really looking forward to it, Gary. Obviously, as a lifelong Arsenal fan, I've had real <laughs> mixed emotions over the last couple of weeks. And uh, But you're just such a good person to have on. So we're going to put our differences aside. And in the spirit of unity, we're going to have a great time together. Well, don't worry, Dan. Some of my best friends are Arsenal supporters. And uh, Arsene Wenger is a very good friend of mine. In fact, uh, Arsene Wenger should have been a Spurs manager. I spoke Woo! to him. So many times over the years, uh, got on very well with him. And the way he talks about the game, wanting players to express themselves. Uh, for me, I think he would have been a great Spurs manager. Uh, I thought he got treated a little bit badly towards the end of his time at uh, Arsenal by the supporters. But um, no, a great, great manager. I absolutely agree with everything you say there, except Arsene Wenger should have been a Spurs fan. But let's move on. Let's, <laughs> let's Spurs manager. Let's move on, and we're gonna we're gonna start with our with our usual kind of a, bit of a left field question, Gary. But if you were to be stuck in a lift with someone, who would it be, and why? Well, that's actually quite an uh, easy answer for me. Um, one of my all time icons uh, is Nelson Mandela. I was very lucky uh, to meet him a number of times when I was working as an ambassador for the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. Uh, but the times I met him, it was only a shake of the hand. Uh, we sat in a, a room where we had uh, dinner. I was on the president's table, it was Tabo and Becky at the time, uh, but didn't actually get the chance to sit and talk to, uh, to Madiba. 
that would have been great to sit down with him just to talk about, uh, you know, obviously the struggles, the work that's had to take place, his time uh, when he was incarcerated for 27 years. Most importantly, how as a human being, after having that incarceration, he was able to come out after all of that time. And rather than like you'd imagine most human beings to seek revenge, he came out with the total idea of just wanting peace and reconciliation. And there could have been terrible, terrible uh, wars taking place. Instead, he came out and uh, you know, kept the country calm and did an amazing job. So, yes, if I was stuck in a lift, uh, I'd like it to be for a few hours uh, with Nelson Mandela. Even saying you'd like, you know, you'd love to be with Nelson Mandela, but you have had dinner with him in the same room. <laughs> I mean, there's a whole bunch of stories there, I'm sure. So, and as we were saying just before we started recording, I mean, there is so much we can talk about. And I think with, we don't want to talk all about your football career, but we're going to start there. Now, 700, well, over 750 appearances, 11 years captain in Spurs, 16 caps for England. You were just an, an incredible player throughout your career. You also worked, you know, you also played alongside some some of the uh, the, the other greats in, in English football, Paul Gascoigne, Gary Lineker, Teddy Sheringham, Glenn Hoddle, uh, to name a few. Can you, do you have, can you say, who was the best player you played alongside and who was the best player you played against? Well, it's always a bit of a, a trick answer that I give to this one because um, I played in Ozzy testimonial game at White Hart Lane and I was playing in midfield and I had alongside me Ozzy Ardiles, Glenn Hoddle and Diego Maradona. Wow. So um, to play alongside uh, those three in midfield, it, it wasn't a bad experience. Uh, so that was fantastic. But then about ooh, nine years ago, I think it was, I was selected for a FIFA World Eleven to play against an African Eleven in Cape Town to celebrate Nelson Mandela's 90th birthday. And our team, we had Butchaguayno, we had Zubi Zaretta, we had Christian Carambo, we had Rude Hullet. And we had a certain player up front called Pele. So um, wow. <laughs> he started the game, only played a few minutes, but started the game. So uh, being in the same dressing room, uh, we had a couple of days together, went to Robben Island and looked over all the, uh, the history um, of what had happened during uh, the apartheid era, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but uh, being able to walk on the field uh, alongside Mr. Uh, with Pele, to me, was quite amazing. And funny story. Uh, how things happen in life. When I was about eight years of age, I had two tortoises as my pets. <laughs> and those tortoises were called Pele and Cruyff. And also, I got to play against Johan Cruyff uh, in 1984 when we beat Feyenoord uh, in the UEFA Cup. And I was given the role of man-marking Johan Cruyff in that game. <laughs> so, quite a weird story. My two tortoises were called Cruyff and Pele. And I played against Cruyff and I played alongside Pele. So a bit of a <laughs> funny story, that one. Uh, as far as you're generally asking the question, my time at Spurs, it's very difficult to choose. You've mentioned some great players there. Um, obviously, Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky V over there when I joined and the likes of Ray Clements in goal, Perriman, Archibald. And then all the way through, the, you know, I had some great players. But my answer to that question is... I cannot choose between two players. I can't choose between Glenn Hoddle and Paul Gascoigne. Glenn Hoddle had the best range of passing of any player I've ever seen. 
And Gaza, well, you could be playing in a game, you've got no right or don't deserve anything from the game, and Gaza could grab the game by the scruff of the neck and turn it your way. So, uh, yeah, both two outstanding players and uh, were a pleasure to play alongside. Um, oh, brilliant. What, what, what an amazing array of footballers there. When you were talking about Pele, I was just reminded of the, the Romford Pele, Mr. Ray Parler himself. <laughs> 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 he's up there with someone, you know, he's, he's an Arsenal legend. But what an incredible set of uh, players you played with and against and just shows the breadth of your career as well. You know, not only focusing on, you know, your, your club career, but the things you've done afterwards in football as well. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, now, Gary, apart from the fact that you beat Arsenal in the semi-final that year, oh. uh, the 1991 FA Cup final must have been one of the highlights of your career. What were your thoughts when Lineker had a goal disallowed and then missed the penalty? And what was termed as the Venables versus Clough final? Can you talk us through some of the memorable highlights for you as captain of that team? Well, let's say it was... a. Uh... Uh, fantastic to be there for the final. Uh, you mentioned having beaten Arsenal in the semi. Arsenal had dominated the league that year and won the title. We're going for the double. Uh, but on the day, uh, we went out at Wembley and uh, we completely outplayed Arsenal on the day in the semi. Um, some fantastic uh, performances in that game. Uh, Paul Gascoigne's free kick, I'm sure everyone will remember. Uh, yeah. But... Most fans still remember that game as the main thing in 1991. Uh, always re you know, revert back to that game. But for me, it was fantastic to beat Arsenal in the semi, but we'd only got the right to play in the final. You know, we had to win the final to make it worthwhile. And of course, uh, we played against Nottingham Forest, uh, Brian Clough. I used to love Brian Clough. I thought he should have been an England manager. I thought he was a fantastic uh, manager of the club. Um, but... Uh, he never won an FA Cup final. There was a lot of support for Forrest because of that. Uh, but on the day, in that first half, you mentioned you know, things that happened. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong in that first half. First of all, Paul Gascoigne, who was our sort of uh, our catalyst for our success that season, um, he got involved in two ridiculous challenges that he made. In the end, he sustained a very bad injury was taken off the pitch um, so we also had a perfectly good goal disallowed that Gary Lineker scored we had a goal against us that Stuart Pierce scored uh, from the free kick that Paul uh, did the, the bad tackle on um, and from the free kick I'm standing on the end of the wall and I think it was uh, Glover or Chettle walked behind me and literally rugby tackled me to the ground as Stuart Pierce was running up literally rugby tackled me and the ball would have gone straight at, at me, would have hit me probably around about the, the chest or just above areas. Uh, but I was pulled to the ground. I remember falling to the ground, seeing the ball fly past me, hearing the roar, and uh, just then hoping. I looked at the referee, Roger Milford, in the hope that he'd seen it. He hadn't seen it. And the goal was allowed. So that should have been disallowed. Wow. Uh, so everything in that first half. Gary missed, Gary Lincoln missed the penalty. Uh, so he went in at half time, you know, pretty much. Uh, you know, down on our spirits. We lost our uh, our talisman in Paul Gascoigne. We were told at half time it was a very bad injury and taken straight to hospital. Um, basically, I think Che Venables was great. A uh, great team talk to us at half time. Said very little apart from the fact that mentioned Paul going to hospital. 
um, and mentioned the fact that just go out there, keep playing the way we were playing. And he said, if you keep doing that, he said, Gary, you'll lift the cup. Went out second half and uh, Paul Stewart e- equalised. And then we had a corner on the right-hand side um, towards the end of the game. Naeem took the corner. He put his hands in the Irishman who was coming to the far post, which is uh, my, the signal for me. So I made a run forward, checked out, come round towards the far post. Naeem hit, was putting it right, right on me. Uh, it's coming straight to me, about six yards out. And I was being marked by Des Walker. He threw himself at the ball to try and clear it and rocketed it right into the top corner. Um, oh. Far better than I could have done, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, so of course, um, the, we won the final. Final whistle went. And it's weird. People always ask me, how did I feel? And those first emotions of winning the FA Cup, uh, it was quite incredible going around the whole team. Then you have like a 10-minute spell where you're waiting for the, the cup to be, uh, all the ribbons be put on, things to take place. You stand around for a little bit at the bottom of the steps. And I thought about two things while I was waiting there. One was that I grew up in a footballing family. Every single year, FA Cup final day was a special day. It was like, we used to start about nine o'clock in the morning with it's a cup final knockout and <laughs> how the teams got there and breakfast with the teams, lunch with the teams, traveling with the teams. It was an incredible experience. And suddenly I was now being part of it. And I stood at the bottom of the steps and we used to watch the cup final every year until the captain walked up the steps and had lifted the FA Cup. And then myself, my brother and my father would go to the, the local pitches to go and play football. And I stood at the bottom of the steps remembering exactly that and thinking, I'm actually going to be walking up those steps to lift that trophy myself. And the second thing I thought of was that we had a game called Subutio. And yep. my brother was older than me, and we used to put it, we had a green pitch, used to put down on our carpet. Unfortunately, we had a ribbed carpet, so the ball was going everywhere. Um, <laughs> but uh, he used to always beat me. And then once we played in the FA Cup final on our lounge room floor, and I beat him 2-1. And I can remember running around the lounge, upstairs to the bedrooms, out into the garden, with this tiny little plastic FA Cup held aloft above my head. <laughs> I stood at the bottom of the steps at Wembley, remembering those moments and mm-hmm. uh, thinking, I'm actually going to be walking up to get that trophy. And people say, what's it like to actually lift the trophy? And it was a great occasion. Uh, Prince Charles was there. Princess Diana was there. The Duke and Duchess of Kent. And I received the trophy. But that moment where I turned and lifted the trophy and shared that moment with the, with the Spurs fans in the stadium, the Spurs fans worldwide, that was a most incredible moment. And the, the noise that hits you, that moment that hits you, if you ever see a picture of me lifting that trophy that day, I've got the biggest smile I think I've ever had on my face. Oh, oh amazing. Well, Gary, you've not always had a smile on your face because you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at 17. You were told you'd never play professional football. Um, And you signed for Spurs the year my daughter was born, 1982, spent 16 years there and 16 caps for England. Um, That obviously means you didn't accept no as an answer. Can you tell us a little bit about how you managed to defeat the odds and play at the highest level? Amazing story. I was playing for Bristol Rovers at the time and uh, it was coming up towards Christmas and I wasn't feeling well, but I was obviously still, I was in the first team. Uh, I was 17 years of age um, and New Year's Day, we were playing away at Leicester 
and I played in the game. I had my worst game I've ever had in my life. We lost 3-0. The manager told me on the way back that I was dropped for the following game. Um, and obviously, I was not in a good place. I explained that I wasn't feeling well. I think I was telling you when I was feeling very, very thirsty, drinking a lot. They thought I'd probably been out partying around Christmas, whatever, or New Year. But that wasn't the case. Um, and of course, as I know now, they were the classic symptoms of, of a, being a diabetic. But uh, when I got back after that game, I was taken straight to the club doctor. He said, look, I need to take you to hospital. Went to hospital. They diagnosed diabetes within 10 minutes. Um, and I had no idea what diabetes was. There's very little knowledge about it. We're talking about 42 years ago now. Um, they explained to me that I had to be on injections for the rest of my life. And they said that my, my career would be at risk. Uh, I mean, nobody knew about, obviously, with diabetes, it's a case of um, when non-diabetics have whatever sugar they have, their pancreas produces insulin to keep their blood sugars level. In a diabetic, the, the pancreas is either stopped working, is not producing insulin, not producing enough insulin. And so um, when they told me about it uh, and going on injections every day, I was very concerned. And I remember the knowledge of it was so uh, so lacking that my family came to visit me and my brother brought me uh, two shoot, ball, shoot football magazines and a box of Maltesers, which, of course, diabetes can't have anyway. Um, so I was in hospital for about a week. We contacted, or my father contacted, three of the top specialists in the world on diabetes. All three of them said that I would not be able to continue um, in my career, the requirements to be a professional footballer, you know, two, three hours training every day to the matches every week, uh, the levels of fitness required, that it'd be virtually impossible, they believe, for a diabetic to do that. They never had a diabetic going from a young age all the way through in a career as a footballer. Um, so fortunately, we didn't listen to the first three uh, gentlemen. And my father contacted another uh, expert and he said, look, it's not happened before, but Gary, if you're prepared to give it a try, I'll back you. So fortunately we did. I got used to the injections uh, and I was back playing in the Bristol Rovers first team uh, within, within six weeks. So yes, it meant uh, my whole life had to change. I had to be very structured, very disciplined, um, going in memorized sign for Spurs. I, you have a medical when you sign, a medical for your you know, your physical fitness, but I also had to, had to have a medical for my diabetes. The club had to be assured that uh, I'd be able to fulfill my three-year contract. Um, so I'd have different medicals for that. And finally, I signed for Spurs. So yes, I mean, all throughout my career, I had four injections every day, 10 blood tests every day. I had an injection at halftime in the cup final. Um, so yes, all those things had to be... Um, I had to look after and I had to monitor all the time, I had to be managed. Um, I we went out and never, ever drank any alcohol. So after matches, you had to celebrate. With the, I always used to go out with the team as captain uh, to be there with them, but I only drank uh, Diet Coke and then I'd leave by midnight so I could be home for my bedtime injection. So, uh, so yes, um, yeah, fortunately, I was able to continue my career. And at the end of it, as I said, uh, I, I had a, you know, a career that I'm proud of. Gary, that's uh, Lionel Messi insured his legs for 750 million euros. Uh, as a professional footballer, your feet 
are the your most prized possession. Uh, with your work for Diabetes UK, is this something you paid extra attention to? Yes, when I was diagnosed, they explained that um, you know the extremities, obviously being the feet, uh, were a big concern. Uh, diabetics have a lot of circulatory problems, uh, neuropathy problems. Uh, so yes, I was very concerned about my feet. Um, I used to you know, always have them checked at least twice a day when I was playing by the staff or now obviously by myself. Um, my feet were getting numb uh, even throughout my career a bit, but uh, going into about 1987, we got to the cup final, but that whole season uh, I was having circulatory problems. I was having bad cramps. Uh, I used to, in my warm-up, I take my boots off at least twice during the warm-up on the pitch, go into the dressing room, take my boots off, um, and then rub my feet. I'd go out for the first half, come in at half-time, take my boots off, uh, rub my feet, do my injections, blood tests, and whatever. Um, so, yes, uh, after the 87 Cup final, I went straight into hospital. I had something called a sympathectomy, where they did a big cut across my stomach to cut a... Um, a nerve that would hopefully allow more blood to circulate down my left leg. So that was in 1987, and that that worked um, to a, a good degree. I was able to continue playing for another 11 years at the highest level. So yes, feet are a problem. Um, I still check them twice every day. I've had numerous issues. Uh, my feet are getting more and more uh, lacking in feeling. Um, certainly, it's a big problem for diabetics. Uh, I'm actually an honorary vice president of Diabetes UK, look after diabetics uh, here in this country. And in that role, currently I'm doing a lot of canvassing of, uh, of government purely because in this country, every single week, there are 150 amputations on diabetics every week. And we believe that at least 80% of those amputations are avoidable. Uh, it's because it's a postcode lottery where you are in the country only one in six hospitals has a multidisciplinary team that can cope with serious uh, diabetic foot problems. So I've been working very, very hard uh, canvassing government, but also to send out the message to all diabetics that if they ever have a foot problem and they're told they may need an amputation to ask for a second opinion, which they will have to give you uh, to make sure that uh, uh, you know, they can, it can be avoided if necessary. So also to remind diabetics that they have to take extreme care of their feet. Sometimes the lack of feeling, um, you can get a blister, you may not know about it. And uh, if you don't know about it within a few days, that could turn into an ulcer in your foot, which can go gangrenous and can obviously cause serious problems. So uh, yes, diabetic feet are a major issue that I work on at the moment. We also work on um, have a thing called, so do 10 blood tests every day. But now there's a thing called the Libra, which is sticks on your arm, goes in your arm, and you have an app on your phone that you put on your arm and, and your phone tells you your blood reading just by reading the uh, the thing on your arm, which is mm -hmm. fantastic for families who have you know, young children with diabetes. They're, not, they're worried about their children in the middle of the night, don't have to wake them up and wake them up, give them a prick their finger, get blood out, do a blood test all that going on in the middle of the night, they can now just put this on their arm and they can see the readings and make sure their children are okay. It's a fantastic uh, thing, but it's quite expensive. And so currently it's not available to everybody in the country. Now being me, you know, I could probably get the company. I could probably get one of these free because I'm who I am, but I refuse to have it 
And I'm still using, I'm still pricking my finger 10 times every day, purely because um, until government allow every person in this country to have a Libra uh, available to them on the NHS, then uh, I'm going to stick with the blood, uh, blood test as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that we're working on. Uh, hopefully we can move forward in those areas and, uh, and make a difference. Are you enjoying our podcast? Remember to subscribe, share and leave us a review. Wow, what an incredible um, journey you've, you know, you've been on personally with everything you just explained. And I think one of the incredible things you've done is translate what you, you did on the pitch in terms of your playing career into an ambassadorial role and so many different roles um, you know, after your playing career. Would you just give us a little bit of insight about your role as global club ambassador for Spurs and the work that you're involved in personally? Yes, uh, I've been a club ambassador for Spurs, crikey now, uh, 20 odd years, I think. Uh, and it's meant I've travelled all over the world. I was in Kuala Lumpur uh, last year doing a special dinner for their 25th anniversary. Um, so I was very welcomed by in a beautiful hotel by hundreds of Spurs supporters who were there. A massive dinner. I was a guest of honour. So yes, you travel around the world. Uh, we do a lot of trips to uh, Asia, America. Uh, we used to be involved a lot in Africa. Uh, so yes, and of course, but most importantly, we do a lot of work within our community. So, um, I mean, just a, you know, a few weeks ago, myself and Harry Winks went to uh, a centre that was uh, with people who've got dementia. We spent uh, two hours with them uh, doing something called football memory to try and get them to click onto something that uh, you've taken a football rattle or something that you or a scarf and talk about it and get them involved. Um, and yes, uh, it, it was a fantastic thing to do. So, yes, we do a lot of um, you know, work in our own communities. Uh, and yes, and overall, recently, certainly during lockdown, for the last seven months now, um, I've been spending a couple of hours a day at least phoning all of our vulnerable supporters, those wow. over the age of 70. The eldest was 94. Um, and I call them on their birthdays, anniversaries, special occasions, obviously to wish them well, but also just to find out how they're managing and coping during these strange times. To be honest, um, yeah, a lot of them are in great spirits, but if you speak to somebody for generally, they're average between about 15, 20 minutes of phone call. Uh, one gentleman was on for over an hour. I've had a few around 45 minutes, but um, generally around about 15 to 20 minutes. You can get a general idea of that person if they're in good spirits, if they're struggling, if they're not in a good place. If that's the situation, then we have the Tottenham Hospital Foundation who have healthcare experts who can then come in and can assist and can help those, those people. So we generally got to be very, uh, I'm very happy to say that uh, I made my 1,250th call today, um, mm -hmm. earlier today. And most of the people I'm calling are in good spirits and are uh, getting through the lockdowns and uh, everything very well. So overall, it's been a very worthwhile thing to do. And it's been very interesting for me because you get the feel of, how the vulnerable people are feeling. And despite the lockdowns being eased to some degree in the 1st of August, some people have maybe the compassion, the support and care that was shown six months ago, people think, well, it's not quite so serious anymore. For those vulnerable people, there's a lot of lonely people out there, a lot of scared people who still need their medical supplies, their food deliveries. So all the people that were helping in the beginning of the lockdown they still need the same help so 
I'll just, uh, again, just say they need your support. They need your help. And please, uh, long may it continue. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And who came up with the idea for allowing the stadium to be used as a COVID testing site? Well, again, this this was a, a club initiative. Um, initially, it was to give the stadium over to the NHS. Uh, it was being used, underground car park was being used as, as a testing area for COVID-19. They had all the nurses there and providing a drive-through testing. Our away dressing room was taken over by the uh, North Middlesex Hospital as a maternity unit. Our uh, interview rooms were taken over by the scanning units. So we had food banks underneath the stadium delivering food to people within our communities in the areas. So yes, uh, it was given over to the NHS, the first stadium to be given over to the NHS in the country. So yes, it was a, a club initiative. And as I say, it, uh, uh, it worked extremely well. Gary, you're trying to make me like Spurs more, aren't you? because everything you're saying is uh, putting me giving me some warmth towards towards Tottenham Hotspur and it's a it's a worrying feeling inside and Gary can you tell us what else you've been involved with outside of your ambassadorial role with 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 Spurs I know you do a lot across many different avenues can you can you give us a bit more insight into what else you get up to Uh, Yes, certainly. For the last sort of 20 years now I've been uh, working for the Football Association uh, in the country um, on their disciplinary committee, so uh, overturning red cards and uh, players, clubs, managers that uh, any charges are brought up. Uh, that's what I get involved with. I'm also an ambassador for the football association, so I've travelled to numerous places in the world. Uh, one of those was Afghanistan. I went there um, just after the, uh, the the end of the the wars there uh, for the first sporting event to take place in Kabul since the uh, since the troubles. Uh, that was a you know, went out with the army, flew out on a obviously one of their one of their flights. It was an incredible experience. Um, so yes, yeah, so I do a lot of uh, trips like that with uh, for the FA as an ambassador, uh, but also from the uh, personal perspective, uh, I have a myself and my partner have a company called Wow, uh, and it's a, a waterless car cleaning product. So it's totally green, uh, totally biodegradable. But you can clean your car without using any water. So it's uh, totally eco-friendly. Uh, Auto Express, the leading car magazine, voted us as the, the best waterless car cleaner in, in Europe. So that was very good. So yes, so I work on that. And uh, I'm currently working with a company on um, an app, which is going to be called uh, My Football Hub. And it's an app that uh, is used in grassroots and amateur football. So the managers can feel more professional, the players, the teams, they can better manage the team. They can build the sides, maintain the engagement with the players, the fans. And so it's a whole, it's one app that will basically encompass what you need to, to run a, the whole football uh, scenario. So we're working on that at the moment. Uh, wow. I think that could be great for the grassroots and amateur game. So yes, uh, I still keep very busy uh, with my roles at Spurs and all the other roles, but uh, yeah, certainly um, keeps me very hectic. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, it, how how does the club actually use your knowledge and experience? Because during your career, you had 12 years as the PFA vice chairman and 20, 20 years working on the English FA's disciplinary. Do you think they use that enough? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, obviously, I've been a global club ambassador for 20 years. Um, I mean, what's quite funny, uh, when I phone up all the people I phone, some of them come up with these, you know, amazing questions back to me and things they want to know. I phoned up this one lady 
who was in her mid seventies, and I picked up the phone, wished her a very happy birthday, had a chat. I asked her how she was, and it was just after the last season had restarted in about June time. She said, "Gary, I am not happy." I said, "Well, what's the problem?" She said, "Why are you not sorting out our defence? We have not started the restart very well. They're so frail. They're letting in soft goals. Why are you not dealing with it?" I had to try and explain to her that. In my role as global club ambassador, my remit did not include. The <laughs> um, so yes, I mean, uh, obviously that the club have got uh, yeah people in places for certain roles. Um, I mean, certainly things may be changing a bit. We saw recently that uh, a position was created for Ledley King, who's now the first uh, the first team assistant. Uh, Ledley is a fantastic guy, a fantastic career with us. And uh, obviously, he'll, he'll have a lot to, to add in that area. Um, but uh, we spoke earlier about my feet and problems with my feet. Um, I had to have a, a leg bypass um, four years ago, and I had a heart bypass last year. So with my leg bypass, I woke up in the middle of the night. Uh, my leg was killing me. It was freezing cold. Um, in the morning, I was rushed to hospital, and there was no blood getting through to my left leg. They thought I may lose my leg. I was rushed in. I had a seven-hour operation. I've got a scar from my groin down to my foot. They found a vein long enough to, to attach a vein to, to get the foot, uh, the blood down to the foot. Um, but it's meant that uh, after that, I'm not, a, I'm not able to kick a ball ever again. I'm not able to run. Uh, I'm not able to stand on wet pitches or on cold, wet pitches. So my mm. dreams of being a manager or a top coach uh, went with that. I can no longer be out there. If I'm a manager, I'll do about that every single day with the team, being part of that, feeling everything that's going on. Uh, that's not going to be possible for me now. But roles, uh, director of football roles, working at roles, linking up clubs with, with uh, you know, loan players going out to other clubs, dealing with the chairman, managers, coach of other clubs, all the areas that the club analysing situations, all that sort of stuff I can still do. Um, and obviously I've gained a lot of experience over my sort of 40 odd years in the game. Uh, I've been part of the been part of the family at Spurs now for 38 years. So uh, you ask, uh, you know, are there other situations where you could be uh, maybe have some more in, input? Yes, maybe. May and uh, as I said, it, it may arise because one arose for Ledley recently. So uh, you never know. Oh, good. Well, good luck with that. I, I actually remember reading somewhere that you turned down several manager opportunities when uh, your daughter was born. Is that right? Yes, uh, yeah. Um, my daughter was born just at the, just the end of my playing career. So at the end of my playing career, I was offered a number of managers' roles. Um, I spoke to Brighton, uh, I think it was Swindon, Stoke, a uh, number of other clubs. And uh, a funny thing is, is that Bill Nicholson was one that took me to Spurs, as in he was the chief scout. He was the one that saw me. He was the one that got me to Spurs. And so Bill and I became very good friends. Uh, spent a lot of time with Bill and his wife, Darkey. Um, and I remember talking to him. Bill always wanted to speak about football. But I said, Bill, what's the what's your biggest disappointment in your career? Because obviously, you know, we chatted a lot. He said, well, Gary said one thing. Um, I walked up the aisle with my daughter when she was getting married. And Gary, I realised that football had taken away a lot of the time that I could have spent with my family, getting to know my family. I didn't really know my, you know, my daughter that well. Um, and he said, I think, I think that's what football took away from me because the time spent as a manager. 
So that sort of uh, yeah, made me think. I just finished playing. I wanted to go straight back into full-time football. Um, daughter just being born. So I chose instead. Um, I took a year out. I uh, went down to, uh, I lived in Cape Town for a year, uh, but working for um, the English Football Association and our government, I was working in uh, all the townships in South Africa, um, Soweto, Alexandra in Johannesburg, um, Kalicha in uh, in Cape Town, uh, Zumlazi in Durban. So going to Cape Town, going to those areas, traveling around, working in the townships, uh, working with youngsters, um, trying to, you know, obviously in the footballing situation. I was visiting hospitals, doing work with the diabetic units in those hospitals, seeing how they worked over there compared to here. So, yes, so I, I spent a year in in Cape Town. So that that was, uh, you know, that was certainly worthwhile. Good decision. We've just um, We've just opened up a small office in Cape Town, and uh, it's an incredible place, an incredible country. And uh, if we have more time, I'm sure we could talk about that more. Um, but I want to kind of just pick up a little bit around your sort of life at Spurs. And, you know, obviously during your life at Spurs, you played at the old stadium, probably knew many of the staff, you know, kind of, you know, it was that real sort of, you know, heritage stadium and family feel. Can you tell us a bit about your thoughts on a new stadium from the view of a professional footballer? What's it like for them? What's it like for someone like yourself? I even read recently that you um, you even grow your own food at the stadium. Is that true? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, we certainly have, uh, we make our own beer. That certainly take, takes place Ooh, there. Brilliant. At our, at our training ground, we grow our own food. Uh, basically, we grow a lot of vitamins at the training ground. The players are tested uh, quite often. And if certainly, if there are a number of players who say there's a deficiency in vitamin B or whatever it is, they have the food there that they can then put in into the food that they serve out to the players after training to bring their uh, their levels up. So, yes, it's all all very high-tech stuff being done. The new stadium, well, it's an absolutely incredible stadium, state-of-the-art. I was the, the first senior game to be played there was the Spurs Legends against Inter Milan Legends. And it had to be played uh, before the opening of the stadium to make sure the stadium was ready. And I was the manager of the Spurs Legends. So mm-hmm. I had to put a team together. We had Jurgen Klinsmann, Gaza, uh, Ginola. We brought all the players back uh, wow. for the game. Had a fantastic uh, squad of players, Robbie Keane, Van der Vaart. And we met at the training ground and they were absolutely amazed at the training ground. And then by the time we arrived at the stadium and we walked out onto the stadium pitch, they were just all totally you know, gobsmacked. They could not believe what they were seeing. Uh, even inside the dressing rooms, what is the, the facilities available, the pitch, uh, it was just, uh, they all said it's the best stadium they've ever seen. And now you're talking to players who you know, have been around the world, seen all the stadiums in the world. And I think it currently is probably regarded as the best stadium in the world at the moment. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible stadium. Um, you know, the, the amazing thing is it's a, you know, it's a stadium that could be rolled out for anything. Uh, we play NFL games there. I was there a couple of days before the NFL game. You would not know it was a Spurs stadium. whole stadium had been taken over by American football. There was nothing, uh, even the Spurs shop was taken over by the NFL. There was nothing Spurs selling in the Spurs shop. It was all NFL stuff. So, yes, uh, it's a stadium that could be rolled out for any event you want to put on there. So, with the uh, slide-in, slide-out pitch, uh, which, again, is a, you know, an absolutely uh, you know, engineering masterpiece. Uh, 
It, it uh, is. How I, that happened? I, I saw that on the uh, on the Amazon Prime series, um, which goes behind the scenes of the Spurs Stadium and obviously Marino's, uh, you know, takeover as as manager. And it's incredible to see just kind of you know, how a stadium has become so much more than a football pitch and, and, and a place for the fans. It's become, you know, just a global brand in itself, just the stadium and the infrastructure around it. So absolutely brilliant. And and again, there's so many, there's so many sort of facets to life at, at, at Tottenham, but just kind of taking a bit of a step back, one of the questions we always ask our guests, you know, particularly during this sort of, you know, COVID-19 pandemic we find ourselves in, you know, things can be a little bit tough and, you know, it's, Football hasn't been the same and it's kind of getting back on its feet now to somewhat, but not altogether. But what was the last thing that you saw that you thought, wow, that's wonderful? Well, goodness me. Um, <clears throat> well, actually, for me, it's a <laughs> it was usually a bit of sarcasm. Um, during the lockdown, I've done a lot of work in my garden and uh, I've also got a problem with moles in my garden. <laughs> and I've got probably uh, I'm lucky I've probably got about a couple of acres of land here, but I've got about a half an acre that's just given over to the moles. There are were hundreds of mole holes every day, mole hills. They've ruined it. The garden's sinking. It's awful. But I've left, left that totally to them. Happy to have that part of the garden for them. Suddenly, about two weeks ago, they've now encroached on the area right outside the back of our house, right in the middle of the garden. You look out, there it's on. And uh, every morning I wake up to numerous mole hills. I have tried everything from they tell you what to put these cedar wood pellets down. They hate them. Nonsense. They absolutely love them. In fact, <laughs> the last molehill, they pushed all the balls back out of the molehill. They <laughs> it's a bit dodgy, but they did put in uh, dog excrement. I put that in there, pushed it all out again. These moles, everything I try and do, I bought these mole repellents that are supposed to buzz, <laughs> make the ground vibrate put lights on, send them away. This morning, I had four molehills right around the blooming repellents. <laughs> these moles, everything I do, these moles. So this morning, I, I went out, I thought, oh, really? And, you know, that's wonderful type expression, but with sarcasm. <laughs> but the true question... That sounds uh, better than one of my answers when Dan asked me how my week's been. That's brilliant. <laughs> that's brilliant. <laughs> so, but to be honest, uh, I think... I go to South Africa quite a bit. My wife's from South Africa. Uh, the family got a place in the Kruger Park, a small thatched house there. We go there, we drive around in the Kruger Park. And on my last visits there, we were driving along a road and there was a herd of elephants. And there was a mother, uh, the, the mum, and they're with her calf. And we sat there, we parked the car, sat there watching them. And the baby elephant couldn't reach the trees to get the food. And so, as we were sitting there watching, the first thing that the mother did getting to this tree she reached up, she broke off a massive branch of the tree and just put it down on the floor for her calf to eat. Now, just seeing that for me, it was just, it was amazing. Uh, I don't know why it was amazing, just seeing that whole hap- the whole thing happening in front of you. Um, but I have to say, well, I always think, I always think that's wonderful. I love the sunrise and the sunsets, whether it be in Africa, whether it be overlooking an ocean, whether it be sitting at home. And for me, no matter who you are in the world, where you are in the world, whether you're a president or a pauper, it doesn't cost a penny to see the sunrise and the sunset. And for me, uh, that is just one of the things I absolutely love. So I'll probably give that as my main answer. Sunrise and the sunsets. Uh, 
before I pass to Dan to ask a final question, have you ever met the owners of Spurs? Have you met Joe Lewis? And uh, Joe's been at a few games uh, we've been at. Uh, obviously, uh, Joe lives in the in the Bahamas, uh, so not, don't come over that often. Um, but obviously, I, I, I know the uh, you know the chairman and uh, obviously the, the the board very well. Uh, having obviously been at the club for thirty eight years now, you get to know people quite well. Um, so yes, uh, I I have a, a good relationship with all the um, you know, with all the board at Spurs. My next door neighbour here, I live in Bromley. But my next door neighbour is a Tottenham Hotspur fan. <clears throat> now, he's not of the age range that you've been ringing. You know, you've been going from 70 to 94. And he's only about 65. But for the purpose of what I'm going to ask you to do, let's pretend he's 75. So, he's, But I wondered whether at the end of the, the question, we're going to try this out. Would you mind ringing him? And let's see whether he actually believes it's you that's ringing him. And his name's Michael O'Brien. Are you up for playing a little prank on him? Yes, absolutely. Let's give it a try. Okay, Dan, before we do that. Brilliant. Well, final question for me. And I think it's a, you know, it's a question we ask all our guests again. And it's a bit more of a sort of general life question, really. But, you know, as an agency, we're all about making complex things wonderfully simple. And what's one of life's complexities you would like to see made simpler? Okay. Firstly, I'll say from a, I'll do a professional and a personal perspective. Well, in life, from a professional perspective, obviously VAR. <laughs> yeah. VAR, in my opinion, uh, stands for vague, amiss, reject. <laughs> <laughs> what would I like to be simpler? Uh, relationships. Professional, personal, family, team, friends, all relationships. They have so many complexities with all of us human beings and the way that we are and the things that we do, I wish that life was a bit simpler so you could <laughs> read things easier. Uh, sometimes, you know, things will happen that create a, a scene with a family and then suddenly everything seems to fall apart and you'll build it up again. And it could be virtually nothing, nothing that's caused it. I just wish all those generally, what could be simpler relationships? Good answer. And I think we can all vouch for that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you very much what an amazing interview that was brilliant um shall we give this a try yeah Gary? certainly you get the phone ready got his, you've got his number written down there i think yep i'll dial it down michael o'brien it's an answer phone oh no oh what a shame well so it, try again see if you yeah go go for it just one more try if call him again leave a message <laughs> Gary Mappers tried to call him three times. I love that. <laughs> and it's, it's just brilliant. He's probably out in his garden digging out moles. <laughs> Good morning, Michael. It's Gary Mabbers speaking from Tottenham Hospital Football Club. Michael, I'm calling you just to find out how you and all the family have been managing and coping during these very strange times. And uh, it was Phil Jones asked me to give you a call. So uh, I'm calling you just to see how you are, how you're coping and uh, what you've been doing during this uh, lockdown period. Michael, I hope you and the family have all been keeping well. And uh, it's been great to talk about football. Spurs are doing extremely well at the moment. Well, except for the last 10 minutes against West Ham. 
But uh, Michael, most importantly, during these times for yourself and all the family, stay safe, stay healthy and look after each other. Take care. Have a great day. And once again, it's Gary Mabbott from Tottenham Hotspur. Goodbye. Gary Mabbott MBE is giving us his time for an interview and Phil, Phil Jones just walks out. Runs out. Yeah, that's oh, it. Actually, I've just had a knock on my door from the next door neighbour, Gary. No. Honestly, and I've... I've just told Babs to send him upstairs. So I'm I'm in the middle floor here. I'm just going to get Mike O'Brien to come up. And uh, I think he thinks it's a wind-up because I'm involved. So let's see. Here he is. Come on, come on, Mike. You tr- how many times did you try and ring Mike? I think I tried four times, Mike. And uh, oh, I'm very sorry. I the phone every time. You blanked me. Oh, yeah. I was on the phone booking some fishing in Hereford. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing on the phone? He's a, he's, a, he's a fisherman, so he chose taught fishing rather than taught to one no, of his heroes. I done that. Definitely not. Oh, th- thanks for persevering. My neighbour is very hard to get. He's a recluse. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, thanks a lot, Thank Jerry. you, Thank Jerry. You. It's been yeah. great to talk to you. Cheers. <laughs> take care. Thank you. You too. <laughs> good, right. luck to, good luck to you and everything you're involved with, Gary. Take care. It's absolutely brilliant. Thank you, Gary. You're a legend. Thank you for tuning in to the Wonderful People podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Wonderful Creative Agency. Find out more at thewonderful.co.uk.